from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. The legal terms and the legal way to fight instead of just out there, you know, hollering at the police. Yeah. You could do better. Because almost you have to start with the lawsuit on some of these even just to find out what happened. Unfortunately, that is the case. Trying to figure out where the loved one's body was located. Um, and then beyond that, trying to get information about what happened, trying to get a police report. Things like qualified immunity, um, sovereign immunity in other contexts, it stops you from being able to get records. the energy that you receive just sitting next to another mother or another father and they just tell you something that a little joke or inside joke and that helps you yeah. know what I'm saying or just something that'll say something about our angel to make us remember a good moment with them and that really helps me I'm Sarah Funsky In January of 2021, Arch City Defenders launched its Fatal State Violence Project. The St. Louis-based nonprofit civil rights law firm began by releasing a report that tallied deaths at the hands of police or in state custody. Last November, in conjunction with a group called Faith for Justice, Arch City used those findings to launch what it calls a Fatal State Violence Response Program. It aims to mobilize volunteers to comfort and advocate for families affected by the violence that its report detailed. It's now training and mobilizing a second cohort of volunteers. And joining us today with more about this program is Tony Taylor. She's a volunteer with the Fatal State Violence Response Program. Tony, welcome. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Thank you. And we're also joined today by Emmanuel Powell. He's a staff attorney at Arch City Defenders. Emmanuel, welcome. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. So, Emmanuel, explain what Arch City means by fatal state violence. This is a term that's probably new to a lot of people. Yeah. As a holistic legal advocacy organization, one part of our mission is addressing issues of state violence broadly. When we say fatal state violence, we talk about incidents where the state has been involved in someone's death. So both killings by police uh, and in-custody jail deaths where folks have died um, while detained pre-trial or after being convicted. And you're looking at these across the St. Louis region, not just the city, but um, all the counties around it. That's right. Jefferson County, St. Charles, both St. Louis City and St. Louis County, and all the municipalities within. And you found quite a few of these. We did. We identified from 2009 to 2019 at least 179 total people uh, who had either been killed by police or had died in jail custody. Um, Since then, we are continuing to do our research Um, And we've identified at least 38 additional people who've been killed by police since 2019. So this is a big issue. Definitely. St. Louis, um, based off of data from mapping police violence, has the most killings uh, per population of any major metropolitan city. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a major issue in that context. Um, There's less data around deaths in custody, but we're seeing that that is a continuing issue each year. So, Tony, your family is is one of many local families that have been affected by this in St. Louis. Your 25-year-old son was killed by the St. Louis police in in 2013, and I'm so sorry for that loss. Thank you. So at the time when you were dealing with this, all the way back in 2013, did anyone reach out who kind of had 
expertise and understanding. Here's what your family was going through. Here's what you might be going through next as this process played out. No, and that's actually how Fatal State Balance um, originated the program. They came to us um, a couple of years later in like 2017. In 2018, we all got together, like six of us families, locally from St. Louis, city Mm -hmm. and county. And we came together, and we was at Arch City Defenders just talking about our experience, like how we went through nobody there to reach out to you, nobody to guide you. There's no book that comes with this. So basically, what we have done from 2018 to now is created a book to help the next family behind us. At least we have a brochure that can guide them in the right directions. And do you feel like when you finally got this chance to sit down with other families that that had also lost loved ones in in similar ways, were there a lot of similarities to the experience in the aftermath? Yes, it was. A lot of us didn't get a chance to view our loved one's body. A lot of us didn't get police reports. Some did. It was a lot of things that we had similar uh, circumstances surrounding, especially with them, like, not contacting the family. Immediately after they kill our loved ones, they didn't. They didn't even reach out right away. Oh no, nobody contacted me. Period. I seen. I got the information from my son. Someone seen it on the news. Carrie's sister seen it on the news. Called me the next morning. Told me to watch the news. I personally called the police station and asked, "How do you find out if that was your loved one in that police involved shooting?" No, ma'am. No one contacted me. Manuel, just hearing that detail, I mean, that seems horrifying that, that, that nobody even gets in touch after something like this. Is that a common thread you heard from these families as, as you've gotten to know them? Definitely. So that was one of the big things that we learned up front was that transparency from local government agencies, police departments just wasn't happening. Um, families were having a lot of issues just like this, being able to get information that it was their loved one, uh, but also after the fact, uh, trying to figure out where their loved one's body was located. Um, And then beyond that, trying to get information about what happened, trying to get a police report. Uh, Pretty much this is a uniform experience, especially if a family hasn't been able to find an attorney, um, that they're in a situation where they just have no information really uh, beyond what they see in the news, because often there will be some information released in that context. It's interesting. As journalists, we complain so much that we can't get these police reports. And it sounds like the people who are even more directly affected, they can't even get these police reports. Definitely. That's exactly what we're seeing. So, Emmanuel, this is an issue that's very important to you. I understand that while it didn't happen in St. Louis, this is also an issue that has touched your family personally. Yeah. When I was a first-year law student, I got the call kind of right after grades dropped, our first semester grades. Um, My cousin, Ronnie Lee Shorter, had been murdered by five officers with the Greenville, Mississippi Police Department. It's a little town in Mississippi Delta where I'm from. Um, And that really started me on this journey of trying to figure out how do you work with other families because that was exactly our experience. Um, Thankfully, someone called us and we were able to, his mother was able to go to the scene, Mm -hmm. which was his house, to actually see that it was him. Um, But so often, it's not just here, it's across the country that this is the experience so many families have. So, Tony, as as you've been in this process, um, you've been dealing with other families and and getting to hear their stories. Does it help to have someone there facilitating this? Um, Emmanuel's working on this project, but he's also been in your shoes. Yes, yes, that helps a lot because he can understand and relate to it more. 
and he's also helping us better ourselves and improve ourselves with the legal terms and the legal way to fight instead of just out there, you know, hollering at the police. Yeah. You could do better. So you put together this book. Um, yes. The families help put together this book. At this point, um, is that book something that's being shared with people when they well, end up in Well, it's a brochure these, yeah. directly for the family. We do have flyers that we share with the public, and we have a business card. We do have a hotline for the families that's been impacted. We have monthly dinners now, healing circle with the families now. And, yeah, we do political education. It's a nice process. So these monthly dinners, this is um, basically any family that's been affected by this, you all get together. We all get together. For one hour, we congregate, we talk, we laugh, we cry. We do a healing circle. It's nice. It really is. It's comforting, and it's great support to one another because we are actually people who can understand each other's pain. Yeah. Manuel, I imagine that these dinners are, are very heavy in some ways, but there's probably also some moments of lightness. Definitely. I, mean, I think um, the joy that you actually can see, um, because one of the issues we found was isolation was a big part of the experience after losing a loved one. You feel like there's no one there you can talk to um, or no one there you can trust, uh, even if it is some of our like organizations that are doing movement work on the street. And so the family dinners are an amazing space where families are able to just be with folks who know where they're going, uh, what they're going through Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, what we're going towards also. So seeing families in those moments, getting excited about advocacy opportunities, about opportunities to support other families. um, There's a lot of joy in that space as much as through the healing we get Mm -hmm. to experience the grief as well. And you mentioned just how many of these killings there have been. Um, is this group growing as, you know, there, there's new people are hearing about it and you're continuing to welcome new people into the fold? Yeah, unfortunately. So we started, um, as Ms. Tony mentioned, with about six families that we had talked to, interviewed, brought together for focus groups. Um, we have somewhere between 10 and 15 families uh, who have taken part in different parts of the program, be it the monthly meetings or events that we've put on. Um, And unfortunately, just given the numbers, we hope to continue to grow and invite other families to the extent they want to be part of that space. Yeah, Tony, that that seems amazing that you're there, you can help each other, people can show up in any given month as as they see fit and and get that sort of uh, experience, that that sustenance. Oh, yes. It really helps me a lot because... um, it was a couple of days that I'd been, you know, sunken in a bad place. And just going to those monthly dinners, it brings you more joy. Like you can, all the energy that you receive just sitting next to another mother or another father. And they just tell you something that they could tell you in a bad space, but they get a little joke or inside joke. And that helps. You yeah. get what I'm saying? Or just something that'll say something about our angel to make us remember a good moment with them. And that really helps me. And I know it helps the new moms, especially the ones that's like a year or so in or some months just in. Yeah, is that harder with the new ones because you know how long that road ahead is going to be for them. But Mm -hmm. you also don't want to freak them out by letting them know that. So you go real slow with them. You tread lightly, you know what I'm saying? And then you let you just be a listening ear to them Mm -hmm. or that shoulder to lean on. So, Emmanuel, I've, I've enjoyed hearing about these dinners because I can just picture what this must be like. But I know that's only one small part of this program that you now are, are having in place when it comes to fatal state violence. Um, how does this program work? Yeah, so Arch City uses a holistic legal advocacy model. Um, and the idea is how do we support someone, uh, be it if they're a client or someone in our community that we want to make sure has the power to advocate for themselves. And so it starts with 
um, or how we began with direct legal advocacy. So that part we talked about families just wanting to get information for information's sake. Um, and so we file sunshine requests to the extent necessary, file uh, necessary litigation so families can get records to understand what happened to their family, get records from the police. Because almost you have to start with the lawsuit on some of these even just to find out what happened. Unfortunately, that is the case because um, even with the Missouri public records law, like you mentioned, it's hard for anyone really to get access to records, especially uh, in St. Louis, the city. Um, So many of the investigations have gone on for extended periods of time with our current system. Mm -hmm. So years may pass where investigations don't close. That means you can't necessarily get access to records. And so if you're there as, as the lawyer to say, okay, we're going to file a lawsuit, that lets you get some things where you don't have to go through that, that sunshine law process. You can subpoena them. You can request them for discovery. You hope. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, <laughs> with our current system, you can file a lawsuit. Uh, and within moments, uh, you know, right after uh, the city can or the defendants can answer and m- dis- move to dismiss the case. So then you're in a legal battle here. Legal battle just to get to the place where I want to see the records. So years will pass before you even are able to get access to information. And that's the second part. We do the civil rights cases. And, you know, we the reality is, like, the law is just not an effective tool for both getting information for the things like qualified immunity, um, sovereign immunity in other contexts. It stops you from being able to get records. So that's why we built this other part, media and policy advocacy, where we're telling family stories, taking video, archiving, uh, but also creating our reports so that we can talk about this issue. Uh, and then this big part with our partner, Faith for Justice, is how do we actually get into the community and collaborate um, so that we're building power with the families? Um, we're putting them not only um, up there to tell their story, uh, but to be the leaders with trying to advocate for the change they want to see. We're talking today to Emmanuel Powell. He's a staff attorney at Arch City Defenders, working on its fatal state violence project. Uh, We're also joined today by Tony Taylor. She's a volunteer with the Fatal State Violence Response Program um, and is a mother who was affected by this herself. Her son was killed by the St. Louis police in 2013. That was Carrie Ball, Jr., um, Emmanuel, you talked about this idea of, of getting these, these family stories on video. Um, is the idea to sort of preserve th- the facts, and, and this is something that is helpful as you continue to try to litigate these cases, or is there more to it than that? Yeah, so much of it's not really even centered around litigation. It's about um, taking back the narrative about these killings. So often um, the information that is available is often from the police. It can be very biased. Um, we've seen that it, it can re-traumatize the family because it criminalizes their loved one um, or dehumanizes them. And so being able to amplify the actual stories from families about who their loved one is, but also to capture the family's experience. Because so often we can focus on the horror of this death, which is very important. But there's a long-lasting trauma, a long-lasting pain that continues after of families who have to figure out how to pay for a funeral. Um, families who have to figure out how to take care of children who are left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we want to tell those stories um, so people can understand the whole narrative. We also want to capture and um, be able to give families the opportunity uh, to amplify the narratives that they want. So you're really being proactive. Like, we want to tell the story of, of who this loved one was, not just the information the police may choose to to leak out or what uh, reporters may seize upon and, and do some short, quick version of. Right. Definitely. And do you find that families, they want to do this? They want to tell these stories? 
Yeah, definitely. So we've been really blessed to have a number of St. Louis area families who've participated in social media campaigns so that we're able to tell their story, tell their loved one's story, uh, and then also uh, video. So some of that is Arch City clients. A lot of it's not. Um, just people who want to you know, share about their loved one, share about their family. So, Tony, for you, back when this happened in 2013, um, you know, you spoke about how you couldn't even get information about what was happening. Your son's case was pretty high profile. This was something in the news where, you know, people reported, um, you know, he had crashed a car at the end of a police pursuit and then officers shot him 21 times. Was this something where what you saw out there in the media didn't accurately capture who he was and what had happened to your family. Exactly. It did not at all because um, at first um, the police, you know, narrative was very off on Kerry. I knew that was not him as a person. Mm-hmm. Kerry was an honor roll student, had a 3.86 um, GPA in college. The day of Kerry's funeral, I should have been at his emergence scholar ceremony. Oh, but wow. instead, He was up for an honor. Yes, but instead I was burying him. Yeah. So, no, that didn't capture his um, character or who he was at all. He was my firstborn. I loved him. He was a big brother, a very loving and protective big brother. And that's just who was Kerry wasn't when the police told him. Like I said, they never contacted us. Now, with me being a um, rapid responder on the Fatal State Violence Program, I have showed up to some incidents um, because from the time that we have launched since November of 2021, it has been 11 deaths. Wow. Yes. I mean, um, that's a lot in a not very long period of time. In, these, in just six months. Yeah. And so you've showed up. Basically, people call this hotline, and then someone like Tony is mobilized is, is how this works? Definitely. So calls from the hotline, but also us just tracking information. Uh, we still depend a fair amount on media reports. To, and so as that comes through social media or just kind of natural media, we are able to kind of push forward from there. That there's been a police killing. And so then at that point, somebody like Tony, you're sent right there to the scene? To the scene. Right there. To the scene. Yes. To capture the videos, witness statements. The, the most important thing is getting those on-hand witness statements, people that actually seen what was going on. If you catch them fresh and raw, you can really get the full details of what happened. So, I mean, you're just diving right in. This yes. is You're there as, as an investigator as almost. As an investigator, basically, yes. And do you find that maybe people are, are willing to talk to you because you're able to say you've been there. You're not just some TV journalist showing up trying to shove a microphone in someone's that face. That makes them feel a lot more comfortable, especially with somebody that's been impacted and been in their shoes before. Even with the w- witnesses, just letting them know that you're an impacted family and that witnesses helped you because it was several witnesses that spoke up in my son's case. No witness, um, you know, we and I appreciate that community for stepping up for us. So to go out there and speak with those witnesses firsthand like that, that really plays a big role, and it helps control the narrative for the family. And, Emmanuel, it sounds like everything kind of flows from there. You guys try to get somebody on the scene as quickly as you can. That way you've made that connection. You can help if people want you to help. You're there to do that advocacy as well as that legal work. No, that's right. And so a big part, just as Ms. Tony mentioned, is the people's investigation. Um, and the purpose of that is to create a different narrative and to help the family with additional information. Other part of this is really connecting with the family as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so through the response program, being able to see what f- support families want. Um, if you need help trying to find someone to ba- someone to bury your child, if you want help with engaging the media or engaging the police or local prosecutor's office, all of that's happening. 
um, which then allows us as a, an opportunity to invite families to our monthly meeting spaces um, and to connect them with other families if they want to do the healing work that we do there or the advocacy work that we do as well. So um, people working with this, some of them are like Tony. They're volunteers. You're asking a lot of yeah. volunteers. <laughs> I mean, that is hard, heavy work. Um, what kind of training are you giving people before they end up in a situation where emotions are high? Definitely. Uh, so one aspect of this is uh, we uh, did a full uh, two-and-a-half-day training that starts with uh, folks getting to meet the families um, and getting to see who they will be working with. Uh, then moves into political education to make sure we're all on the same page about, you know, why we're doing this work. Uh, we train them on the hotline how to um, actually answer calls in a trauma-informed way, how to connect people with different referrals. Uh, and then we actually have in-person simulated training. Uh, this program builds partly off of the Coalition Against Police Crimes and Repression, which has been working with St. Louis families through their rapid response programs in 19, since 1983. Hmm. So they came and helped us with our simulation to actually give folks a sense of when you show up on the scene, here's the worst case scenario, how this could go. Um, and how do you respond, um, be it with, you know, supporting the family, engaging media, uh, making sure that folks get access to resources. Tony, having gone through what you went through um, nine years ago, do you worry about re-traumatizing yourself to be putting yourself in, in the middle of what could be a similar situation? I did at first last year in November when they killed so many people so fast because from the time we launched to the middle of November, I mean, member, middle of December, I think they had already killed like seven people. Yeah. It was so almost, that's, that's hard even just for people consuming the news, much less jumping into it. Jumping into it. So, yes, at first it was a little, I was concerned about re-traumatizing myself. So I had to find balance and then, you know, really know what the purpose is for me going out here and being a part of this. And I know it's very helpful to the families because, like you said in the beginning, there was nobody to dive right in and help me when this happened nine years ago. And so is that what keeps you motivated, even though I'm sure this work is hard, um, but you feel like you can prevent somebody from from dealing with just all the uncertainty you had to deal with? Yes, and then just being able to guide them to the um, grieving support systems we have here in St. Louis. Like, we have a lot of wonderful grief support here in St. Louis that a lot of people don't even know about. We have bereavement centers, and all of that is very helpful, as well as what we're doing right now with FSB, because FSB stepped up really big, and we didn't even know this was going to progress as far as it did from 2018 to now, just four years later, how much we have established. I really thank our city defenders, Emmanuel, very much, and Faithful Justice, yes. So, Emmanuel, in our final minute here, um, you're working on the micro level with each of these families providing so much resources, but you have much bigger goals here. I know that's a big question. We don't have much time. But what is the ultimate goal of all of this work on this front? Yeah, I mean, I think the to simply say it, it's to actually build the community of families so that they have the power to help one another um, and help others. And I think that what we've seen is that they want to help in terms of information, transparency. They want to help in terms of getting families access to resources. But every family we've talked to has said, I never want to see this happen to another person. 
And so a lot of the work that we're doing is political education to support families with how does this, how do you take your pain uh, and transform that so that you can transform St. Louis, so you can transform our communities so that police aren't killing folks, right? People aren't dying in jails. Um, and when it happens, for now, the system we live in, that there's actual love and care for each family, right? Because so many of us, that wasn't our experience. And so that's what we're working towards. And as we build all these programs, um, interconnected, we hope that we're able to get there. Well, Emmanuel Powell, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And Emmanuel is a staff attorney at Arch City Defenders. Tony Taylor, thank you so much. Thank you. And Tony is a volunteer with the Fatal State Violence Response Program. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.